In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, today is the feast of St. Michael and all angels. And I know this is the first time that we've celebrated it uh, this day here at Zion, but this day is very, very old. In fact, it's one of the oldest festivals in the church. It has been observed in the church since the year 400. So about 1,600 years we've been observing this. Um, it's fallen out of use in recent years, and it's something that's maybe rarely ever considered or even heard of. Uh, I think that Lutherans may think that this is some sort of Roman Catholic uh, tradition or idea, or that uh, they've gotten rid of it because of rationalism and uh, dismissing the supernatural things of the scriptures, whatever it may be. Uh, but it is not a Roman Catholic teaching or idea. Uh, you know that at the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther cleaned up the uh, church year, a lot of the things in the church. He got rid of a lot of things in the church. He discarded a lot of rites and ceremonies, but not this one. This one he kept, St. Michael and all angels. And, as, and, and Lutherans have observed this feast for hundreds and hundreds of years throughout uh, their history. So... Uh, what, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to observe this feast day, St. Michael and all angels. Uh, just a, a word on this before I uh, begin with all of these points. Um, in Matthew 28, we learned that we're to observe all that Jesus commanded. All of it. And in Acts chapter 20, we're to declare, the pastors are to declare the whole will and counsel of God. And angels are included in the whole will and counsel of God, the things that he taught us. In fact, I don't think there is a book in the Bible that does not mention angels in some way. So this is a very real part of the Christian faith. It's as true as everything else in the scriptures. And so we need to uh, seriously consider the topic before us. So to do this, I'm uh, going to try to cover as much as I can. There's a lot that, that could be said. I won't be able to say it all. But I'm going to tr- cover as much as I can by making only uh, nine points. <laughs> uh, I've whittled it down to that. All right. So the first thing, uh, it, the first thing I'll say is that the angels are unique creatures of God. They didn't exist before creation, before the six days of creation. Before creation, God was all that there was, uh, that, as Colossians 1 says. Uh, For by Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Also, the angels weren't created after the six days either, because Genesis 2.1 says that God rested on the seventh day because, here it is, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. So we do know for a fact that they were created within the six days. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly which day they were created, but there's good reason to believe that they were created within the first four days, probably, most likely, the third or fourth day. And the reason we think this is because that one verse in Job 38, where God questions Job and he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? So this verse shows us that the angels were unique uh, creatures and that they were actually eyewitnesses of part of the creation. 
The second thing is this, is that God created a great number of them. Again, we don't know how many exactly, but Psalm 68 says that the chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. And Revelation 5 says that the angels surrounded the throne of God and numbered thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. So there's there's uh, so, so many, too many to count. But the number of angels is fixed because the Lord himself has said that angels neither marry nor are given into marriage and therefore neither do they procreate and no angels are created or added to the number. So the number of angels won't grow and it won't shrink. It's fixed. With that in mind, I have to say this. Uh, I have to clarify a very deep misconception that's very prevalent among Christians. And that is this, that we don't become angels when we die. Your loved ones who have died in the Lord don't cease to be human. And they don't become a creature, another creature or an angel. Neither do your pets become angels. Animals, angels, and humans are all, they're all entirely different creatures from one another. Animals uh, are creatures that have bodies but no souls. Angels are creatures that have spirits, that are spirit but no body. And humans are the unique creation of God that have both a body and a soul. It's unique. Uh, In fact, I preached about that last Sunday, about uh, how we're to care for both the body and the soul so dearly and uh, treat it with great dignity and respect. Now, humans are the only creatures that have this status of both body and soul. Now, okay, uh, back to the angels. The third point is this, is that uh, the angels are not cute. Uh, They're not very, um, uh, uh, they don't really warm your heart in that way. Uh, We have all of these pop culture references of chubby little angels that are like babies, Uh, floating in the clouds. We have paintings and pictures of Cupid and other things in our mind. But that is all wrong, actually. That's the popular, secular view of it. But that is not the biblical view. From what we know, the angels are terrifying, in fact. They're beautiful, but they're terrifying. When, when angels manifest themselves, which is not often, but when they do to humans, almost every time the first words out of their mouth in the scriptures is, do not be afraid, don't fear. And they're saying that precisely because the people who see them are afraid and terrified. Uh, and not only that, but they're also extremely powerful. Remember, it took several of the strongest men, soldiers, centurions, to roll the stone in front of the tomb of Jesus. But it was rolled away by one angel. Also, in 2 Kings 19, we hear that 185 Assyrian soldiers were struck down. And the text says, when the people arose early the next morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. 2 Kings tells us that this was done by one angel. So they are tremendously powerful and terrifying creatures. The fourth thing, the fourth point, is that when God created the angels, he didn't make them all equal. They're not all the same. He created them with different abilities and strengths and skills and ranks. Not all angels are alike. The scripture speaks of angels and cherubim and seraphim and chariots and hosts and so on. Now, there are only three of these angels named in the scriptures. Uh, That's Gabriel. Uh, Michael and Lucifer or Satan. 
Satan uh, literally means accuser, the accuser. Uh, Gabriel is the one who announced the birth of Christ. Uh, Lucifer is the fallen angel. But now we come to the angel Michael. And he is mentioned three times in the scriptures in Daniel 10, in Jude verse 9, and Revelation 12. And Michael is the only angel in the scriptures to be called an archangel, which means the chief angel or the highest ranked angel. And he is the one who is in charge of all the others. Michael, the name Michael uh, is Hebrew, and it means who is like God? It's a rhetorical question. Nobody is. Uh, so Michael isn't Jesus. He's not the son of God. He's not part of the Trinity or some, as some will wrongly teach. Michael is a creature. He's a very powerful creature. Revelation 12 tells us that the archangel Michael led the angels and cast out Satan from uh, before God, um, before the throne of God, uh, when, when, uh, before he created Adam and Eve. Now, so Michael is the chief angel who leads the others, which is why this Sunday is called St. Michael and all angels. He is the one who leads the host of heaven. The fifth point is that the angels are invisible. They're included in the part of the creed where we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who created heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. That is where they're included. Angels are part of the invisible realm. Now, you may think this is uh, obvious and maybe gloss over it, but I want you to pay close attention. We're not saying that the angels are far away. We're saying that they're invisible. A lot of times we conceive of heaven and earth as if heaven is very far away beyond the edge of the galaxy, beyond the edge of the universe. And here we are in this material place on this planet far, with a great separation in two different locations. But the truth is that we're all in the same space. We're in the same space. We're not just part of the physical. The, the, the point is, is that we are part of the physical realm, the visible realm. And they are part of the spiritual invisible realm that happens around us. And there is a great chasm between the two that no tools of our technology, none of our, the greatest uh, uh, vision or microscopes or anything could see them. Uh, so that means there is right now an unseen reality surrounding us in this very room, in our own homes, at work, on the road, and so on. That the realms, the physical and the spiritual are concurrent. They are parallel to one another. They're side by side within the other. In fact, to show this, do you remember in 2 Kings when Syria attacked Israel? Uh, the king of Syria wanted to destroy Israel and capture the prophet Elisha. And this, I'm just going to read this paragraph from the text. It says this, the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Later on, he prays that the Syrians are blinded and they are and God protects them. But the point is that those angels were surrounding Israel. They were there the entire time. He didn't call them down from heaven. He just opened his eyes to see that they were already there. What God did was simply open his eyes to see what was already true. Okay, now we're on to the sixth point, and that's this, that we're not just surrounded by good angels, but by evil ones. These evil angels are called devils or demons, and Satan, Lucifer, is the prince of demons, and he is the one who rules over them. In the same way, we are in their realm, although we cannot see them. And in fact, we're all very good at seeing their effects, how they influence, how they wreak havoc upon the world. They do this through temptation. We see things like demon possession, demon oppression, false doctrine, and lies, and murder, and insanity, and so on. Jesus says of Satan, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So that the devil's chief attack upon the church and the state is falsehood and lies and deceit. But he presents it as what? As truth. Second uh, Corinthians 11 says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Okay, we see this all around us. False doctrine, consider this. False doctrine is disguised as what? As inclusive and as loving, as welcoming, as tolerant. Cruel and unjust humane mandates, uh, inhumane mandates are disguised as safety and protection. Adultery and fornication and sexual immorality is disguised as natural and keeping with the times as calling love, love. The slaughtering and violent dismembering of infants in the womb is disguised as a woman's health care, as a human right. And this is all demonic. These are the effects of it. This is satanic, deeply satanic. You don't see demons, but you see the effects and the influence of them. That's why Ephesians 6, 12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, abasing the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The seventh point is this. It is precisely for this reason that God sent his holy angels to protect us. Hebrews 1 says that God's angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve those for the sake 
uh, serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And Matthew 18 says this, and these are beautiful words. See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, one of these children of God. For I tell you in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. There, that is the, the third person possessive. Here, Jesus says, their angels. God has assigned angels or, or an angel or angels to you, to watch over you, to defend you. And this is where we get the term uh, guardian angel, that demons are out to get you. But at the same time, you have angels watching over you, defending you, guarding you and keeping you. Luther himself knew this. And every evening and every morning, he would pray this. At the very end of his prayer, he would say, Into your hands, O Lord, I commend myself, my body, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. (laughs) In fact, we even sing this in our Lutheran hymns. We're about to sing one during communion. Hymn 716, verse 4 says this. It says, I walk with angels all the way. They shield me and befriend me. All Satan's power is held at bay when heavenly hosts attend me. They are my sure defense, all fear and sorrow hence, unharmed by foes, do what they may. I walk with angels all the way. Now keep this all in mind. Keep everything, all of these points in mind as I get ready to make the last two. The eighth point is this. God sends his angels to protect us. But he did not send them to redeem us. This work he did himself. When it came time to saving you from your sin, from death and from the power of the devil. When it came to taking your place and suffering what you and I deserved. The stripes and the wounds that we uh, had coming to us. God did not send another person another ruler, emperor, or king, or creature, not even the highest and holiest angel of heaven. He sent himself for you. He sent Christ, your dear Lord, the Son of God, God of light, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, the one to whom the angels bow and cover their face, the God who created heaven and earth, who created the angels He chose to set himself a little bit lower than the angels. And he chose to carry the burden of your sin and your guilt and your death. And all of this he did for you alone. When Satan tempted him, remember, he could have thrown himself off of the temple to prove the point that his angels would have come and not let his heel strike the ground. He could have done that. When he was arrested, remember, uh, Peter took out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. Jesus says, put your sword away. Remember what Jesus said. He says, I could, don't, do not know that I could call to my Father in heaven and he will send 12 legions of angels right now. He could have called for help and aid at any moment. The God of heaven, though, did not. And he came to earth to be despised and rejected on the cross alone with no help from anyone, no help from any creature, no help from any angel, not even help from the Father himself. Christ offered himself up for the sins of the world to forgive you, to wipe away all of your sin, all of your sorrow, all of your guilt. And he did. And because of this, we praise no person, no saint, 
no human, and no angel. Christ Jesus alone deserves all blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might forever and ever. And for this, we will magnify his name forever. Uh, Now to the final point. It is the ninth and final point, and it's this. The angels of heaven rejoice and praise God for everything he did. When he created the heavens, when he created the stars and the sky, the galaxies, they were there and they rejoiced. But nothing makes the angels of heaven more happy than your salvation. Think of that. Luke 15 says, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Even more, uh, 1 Peter 1.12 says that the angels of heaven long to see your salvation. They cannot wait to see you redeemed. The angels are not envious They love you. They are fascinated at how much the Lord loves you and all he did to save you. They're deeply invested in your redemption. Uh, These angels were there for every major moment in our salvation, in in the way the Lord redeemed us. They were there for the prophecies. They were there for the conception. They were there for the birth. They were there with Jesus in the garden when he was sweating drops of blood at the thought of what would happen to him. They are there at the resurrection. They're there at the ascension. They're there at your repentance. They're there for you even now, even in this service. In a few moments, we will sing the Sanctus, the song of the angels in in Isaiah 6. And we never, ever sing it alone. We never sing it alone. We sing it, remember, right before you're going to hear it, we sing it with angels and archangels And with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, holy, holy, holy. And dear saints, remember that when your last hour comes, whenever that is, maybe sooner than we realize or prepared for, that remember that the angels will be there by your side too. Remember what the Bible says about poor Lazarus who died. Luke 16, 22 says, Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And that means that when your last hour comes, uh, you will not be alone. And no matter how difficult or painful or violent it may be, when you breathe your last on this earth, when God has determined your days are full, he will send his holy angels to come and carry you home forever. And then on that final day, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, raise you and all the dead, and give eternal life to you and all believers in Christ. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hear the words of this hymn. Lord, let at last thine angels come. To Abram's bosom bear me home, that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing. And then from death awaken me, that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend. 
and I will praise thee without end. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.